This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 203, Submission 153, American Gladiators Knockoffs. Funny thing happened in 1988 when Johnny Ferraro and Dan Carr decided to put ordinary Joes against bodybuilders, fitness models, and former professional footballers looking for one final glimpse of glory. It became a hit. Crazy, right? I know. And it became a long-running hit. For like almost 10 years in syndication. Well, actually, I did the math. It was uh, more like seven years. Oh. But it, wow. but we got another two years out of it on uh, NBC primetime. And it endears to this day to the point, and this just speaks to accidental um, scheduling. Oh, yeah. But... We scheduled this like in an open spot. But it turned out last week they announced that WWE and MGM are working on a revival of American Gladiators. Yep. So a bit of an accidental uh, circumstance, but nevertheless, a show as endeared as American Gladiators just doesn't go away. In fact, if anything, it gets copied. And in the late 80s and early 90s, mostly the early 90s, it got copied a lot. Now, some of the copies were actually good. Some of them looked good, Greg. They looked good. They looked really good. Looked good. Looks 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 good. One looked good. A one looked good, but there's a reason why it looked good. Yes. Because it was the first out of the gate by, uh, oh, like two three or three four years. years. Three or like four that. years. Well, you know what? We'll talk about that later on. But right now, let's get to all the shows that uh, that came out of the gate, try to make uh, a bit of that American Gladiators money. And the first one happened in 1992. Imagine, if you will, you take the American Gladiators formula. And you mix it up with a night at medieval times. What do you get? You get Knights and Warriors, which ran from September 19th, 1992 to September 11th, 1993 for an unknown number of episodes. Safe to say it's somewhere around the range of 13 to 26. Yes. Yeah, I think they ran 26 and then reran the same 26 for the second half of the season. It doesn't make sense to rerun uh, 13 episodes four times. Yeah, makes sense. You, you, you've got the set built, you know, you, the 13 episodes just seems kind of low and not very uh, cost effective. Right, right. So what Knights and Warriors was, or what they did with the American Gladiators, and actually, you know what? Just play the open. All right, let me play it. Hold on.
It is written in the book of good and evil that in a time long ago all was peace and harmony, paradise on earth. Then one fateful day the universe shifted. All was dark, and for those born on that day, their evil destiny would be sealed. Oh no! Now they have united to wreak havoc on an unsuspecting world, and forevermore will be known as warriors. Come out to play! Led by the walking, talking tower of destruction, plague. Plague. A true physical specimen, an iron beauty. He's you made to handle his pyro. Pyro, the biggest ship off the rock of Gibraltar, Lady Battle. Damn, she's scary. The Duke of Doom, he's your worst nightmare. <laughs> the royal good girl gone bad, Princess Malice. The utter state of confusion is chaos, and a truly dangerous snake in the grass. Venom. Wait a minute, Chico. That's not Tom Hardy. You don't look like Eddie Brock to me. And that's the next. That's the next uh, Spider Verse, by the way. Do you really want me to put Yaya spoil alert on this part? I don't know if Chico's seen Let There Be Carnage yet. Uh, I have not seen it yet. All right, so we'll wait till he actually sees it before we ruin Thank it for you, Mike. Thank you, sir. All right. The Despicable Warriors, representing the gold team from Boynton Beach, Florida, the stunt double and actress Diana Cuevas, and her teammate Michael West, an aircraft mechanic from California. We're waving. We're smiling and waving. The team from Baltimore, Maryland, security investigator Robert Pavel, and his teammate. There were ties and suits right now. It's time to get them into some armor. Chances of winning are slim. Oh. These teams shall vie for knighthood in a whirling battle where but one couple shall meet the riches of sweet victory. Mm. There is no turning back. The time has come for knights and warriors. You're looking at the Warrior Dome, home field and battleground for our next preliminary round one competition of knights and warriors. Well, hi again, everybody. I'm Joe Fowler. Thank you. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, Craig, you're going to have to explain to me who the hell Joe Fowler is. Oh, <laughs> give me one sec. Give me one second. I got to get the, uh, I didn't expect I was going to get the Wikipedia page for Joe Fowler up, but okay. Wikipedia <laughs> even have a Joe Fowler page? Oh, he has to. There's a disambiguation for Joe Fowler. Oh, no, he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. I told you he doesn't have a a Wikipedia page. That is bullcrap, Joe Fowler. We're going to have to go one step up in the legitimacy hierarchy to IMDB. Good. And he does have an IMDB page. I have it up. (laughs) I'm surprised Joe Fowler doesn't have a wiki. Oh, my gosh. Joe, Joe Fowler Fow- was a sports reporter. I know that because we talked about. Well, I talked about him because he was in the uh, the Washington Redskins' twelfth man music video at the very end, which I inserted at the end of the episode. Because we didn't really talk about it, but I inserted it in the editing about that. So because I yep. discovered it afterwards. 
bit of uh, background info. He worked as the sports anchor for WCAU in Philadelphia and KSAT-12 in San Antonio right before he was called on to take over the WWF Control Center around 1995 after Lord Alfred Hayes retired. Well, no, that's wrong because it was 1993 because he replaced Mean Gene Okerlund after he left for WCW. Ah. So whoever wrote this got their information wrong. So aside from being a former sports anchor, an infomercial pitch man, and the guy from that thing we talked about earlier, or at least this time last year, he did this. And this isn't even going to be the last time we mentioned Joe Fowler this show. That is correct. Because next that later. Yeah, we don't want to ruin that. Okay. Oh, by the way, guys, he was on he was on an episode of Doogie Hauser MD in nineteen eighty two as reporter. And guys, would you believe he was in D two the Mighty Ducks? Yeah, you know what he played? What did he play, Chico? He played a reporter. No, 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 no. He played a reporter at Anaheim. So not just any reporter. A reporter at Anaheim. A reporter at Anaheim. I'm guessing this was near the end of the movie when they were playing uh, Iceland at the Pond. And again, he was also in the epic feature Independence Day. Oh, what did he play? In, in he played a reporter. Oh, man. <laughs> what a stretch. In three different movies. Well, two movies and a TV show. He played reporter. Yep. And when he was playing a reporter... He played an announcer on at least two episodes of Coach. And he played an announcer on an episode of Ariel Monsters. Well, good on him. All right, so let's hear what Joe has to say about what's going on on this exciting show. You ready, Mike? Bring it on. Very much for joining us. As always, I'll be calling the action throughout today's telecast as we take you back to the games of King Arthur's Court. Oh, and would be so very proud of these games. How? Hold on. How would Joe Fowler know that King Arthur would be very proud about the games that they'd be playing on this show? <laughs> they're authentic. I don't know. How do we know they're authentic, Mike? Don't ask me these difficult questions. It is television's newest, most exciting sports spectacular. And joining me wherever the action takes place throughout this Warrior Dome is Lisa Canny. Here I am, Joe. Today's competition is as exciting as the battles we've seen in the past few weeks. Michael, Diana, Robert, and Marcia have a real, real battle on their hands, though, so they better keep on their toes. Hey, it's the lady who hosted exactly one season of Dancing with the Stars. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. They are up for the challenge. They're anxious to face Oh, the, the knights are ready. You ready? You? Oh, yeah. Let's go. The action begins oh, good. with our version of that medieval military machine. 
I think Joe's a little bit too excited about the catapult. Oh, who wouldn't be? Launching red balls the length of the warrior dome to the Okay, now Greg, there's a catapult here. They definitely had those in the times of King Arthur. Okay, yeah, so he would be proud about this. They also have the ring of fire. I I don't think they had rubber balls back in the day of King Arthur, but yeah. For each successful throw. Playing time for this event is one minute. One minute. And here comes the, and here come the, the, the warrior Warriors. You know they're coming. Look at that. The audience. Boo! The louder the boos, the happier the Warriors. Can I just tell you something? We're going to talk about uh, a lot of things on this episode. But one of the things that we're going to talk about is narrative versus lack of narrative. Because if you remember American Gladiators, the American Gladiators did not have a narrative. They were just the house band. What is Pyro? Oh! Pyro makes fire. Look at the crowd. They're like, yay, he made fire. That is your... Yeah, Pyro made freaking fire. Is Pyro supposed to be a mutant, Chico? Probably. I know it was a mutant when the movie came out. I see what you did Oh, I do want to make one comment about the open of the show. Okay. Did you notice when the contenders, if you will, entered? They were in their civvies. Yeah. How awkward did that look? Did you ever see anybody on American Gladiators or anywhere else wearing their street clothes as they entered, especially in a fanatic universe like this? No! No! That looked just weird. It was totally okay, out of context for uh, for this. And then, they, and then they have the, their, their, uh, their suits there. Oh, they look like they're straight out of the running man. Yeah. Oh, I like this. This is kind of like dodgeball. Robert Pavel went for it, dropped it, and will not try any longer. Now Pavel has it in the 10. The 5 shoots high. 42 seconds to go. Michael yeah, ever wondered what would happen the if the rubber met the, the fire? If you got the I don't know. Although I just watched that uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring on Onita's FMW. Fire and uh, rubber don't mix. It's a good piece of dodge. And there's a shot by Pavel. It's good. We are on the boards. 10-0 Pavel. Michael West has to grab something. Pavel has another. Oh. He ducks and shoots. It looked like it okay. Get, oh, they have to throw it over the ring of fi- into the ring of fire. They have to throw it into the Michael ring of fire. Yes. Get, thou shalt not pass. You shall not pass. It's too late. Pavel leads it twenty to nothing. We got a couple highlights for you. Now take a look at this. Robert using the patented duck. Whoa. I don't know if this is strategy or survival, but it I, uh, What? Here's Lisa with the guys. A nice move there, Michael, but you didn't score. What was the problem for you? So, yeah, uh, the Knights of Warriors is basically uh, American Gladiators. It was held at a Renaissance fair. Or medieval times. 
complete with uh, everybody in K-Babe except the for the host and the contenders. Well, the crowd is dressed in civvy clothes. What heck? I guess all they're in medieval times. Yeah. Diana but is a 28-year-old Yeah, that's basically uh, what I was about to say. Because there's, there's a narrative Marta and there's a lack of narrative. She's originally from Argentina, now living in Hollywood. A fitness instructor, 26 years old, 5'8", 130. Battle axe and Venom are now manning the slingshot. Oh. Their goal is to prevent the Knights from zeroing in on yeah, the ring of fire. Because, uh, okay, narrative, everybody, oh, the, ho the house band, let's call them. They look the the, the uh, warriors. They are Playlist, in K-Babe, like, in purple. as long as the, the cameras shot. are on it's, them. It's a little bit oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, she was close to the target. Both of them struggling to get one. Well, well, but five, you look wide. at the American Gladiators, they're just the house team. You keep your eye on she can fire it's like they're, they have Here's characters, the but they do not have narrative. That's what I was trying to say. Push, your way through this event. A shot is wide. That one taken by Lanza. A shot by Cuevas is missed. You know why? Because Battleaxe was bearing down at the slingshot. Oh. The intensity in the Warriors' faces as they prepare to shoot their victims. A red ball is caught, dropped out, picked. Does that make Cuevas any sense, guys? Characters, the, uh, the American Gladiators were characters, but did not have a narrative. And yet, these have, these are characters and, and narrative. Yeah, I guess. There wasn't a kayfabe element to American Gladiators, yeah. It was just, they're gladiators. And they're fighting these people because... It was a simple show, American Gladiators. It didn't have, like, this narrative storyline. Like, oh, the American Gladiators are, like, modernized versions of Gladiators. They didn't do that crap. There were American Gladiators. It was a simpler show. For yeah, a simpler time. Really but wait, they did really have characters if you think about it. I'm thinking specifically Malibu in like the first season or two. Hey Malibu, after you got drilled by that human cannonball, I thought, hey, there is no way this guy is going to live to play another day. You're alive, you're well. What happened? Did you go to the hospital? Did you get x-rays? Well, dude, it's like this. I saw this guy coming, and I took the most excellent hit of my life. Next thing I knew, I was on the beach taking in some cosmic rays, getting healed by Mother Nature, taking a little brewski, holding on a beautiful babe, and I'm fine today. So no hospital, no doctors, just Mother Nature, huh? Oh, I'm a child of Mother Nature. What do you expect? Malibu, you are truly amazing. He took a licking, and he is still ticking. Sweet. Ladies, that's why they came up with nothing. Here is your... Wait, what did Joe just say? Hold on. Fire. It was just really Hold hard on. At least I counted 27 gold bullets fired at those ladies. That's why they came up with nothing. Here oh! Good night, everybody. Joe. Okay, let me try to find it. Oh! For coming up, the sorcerer's wheel will spin us off into the warrior's stratosphere. But first, it will be the clash of epic proportions Ooh. in battle form when we return. Does this remind you of anything? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Oh, hold up, guys. Hold up. When that guy was talking, you know what it reminded me of?
It reminded me of that Mega 64 sketch for President Evil. Made fun of the guy in the game going, What are you buying? Got a lot of good things on sale, stranger. Greetings, stranger. What are you buying? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Got a lot of good things on sale, stranger. Got a lot of good things on sale, stranger. Got a lot of good things on sale, stranger. What do you got? Things. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) What are you selling? Nothing over here. Are you picking up the pizza? Ah, yes. I'll buy it at a high price. What's the name? Stranger. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, okay, but before before we get uh, back in there, one thing I want to add is uh, we we heard that one of the uh, the warriors in this game was Lady Battleaxe, and. Lady Battleaxe went on to much bigger things. Uh, you uh, might remember her from Glee. I talking about one Dot Glee. Marie Jones. Oh, yep. She was the gym teacher who actually was like into physical fitness and stuff like that. Because she was uh, like a fifteen-time arm wrestling champion, Ooh. arm wrestling champion. She, yeah, big girl. Since obviously we need to to do a mention of this like on every episode. She was on like five episodes of Married with Children. Take her down, Archimedes. <laughs> Take him down, Dot. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you a lot of woman. I'm a lot of everything. <laughs> All right, let's continue. What does Joe have to say about this next game right here? Finds quickness, balance, and keen reflexes. It's called the Sorcerer's Wheel. A revolving turntable measuring 25 feet in diameter. The wheel will spin in one direction. Oh. Mike's try to outrun the wheel in the opposite direction, passing the red arrow lap counter. Now, if that's not tough enough, we've placed two obstacles along the way. Two two-foot hurdles that the knight must jump while trying to stay on both feet. This is a 45-second event. Each time the knight passes the lap counter on the outside of the wheel, 10 points will be earned. If both feet touch the inside circle, the lap does not count. But uh, that's not all. Hey, Badlack! While the wheel's spinning, I'll spin off. Oh, not the malice mace! Oh, yeah, the malice mace! It's hard! It's heavy! It's over! (laughs) Okay, here we go. This is an individual event with just the ladies competing, but the points that they earn will be added to their team scores. Diana Cuevas is going to need a lot of speed. She's going to have to get away from Battleaxe, Steel Maiden, Princess Malice, and Venom. They have control of the mace. Sorcerer's Wheel is about to begin. Dude. 45 seconds on the clock. What a tactic! And she might have waited too long. She might know she oh! I underestimate the power of Battleaxe. She was head on perfect. Right in the rear. <laughs> Take a look at Got him. One, Got two, him in the butt. <laughs> <Got him. laughs> 
<laughs> you know where it was? She got her in the butt, Bob. That joke was so old, we should give it away on eBay prices right. Definitely as hard as they look. No, don't play the music there. Don't. Time, you better believe it. Good for you, Diana. Let's see how Martha does against the Warriors, Joe. How Actually, it's four against one, but I can't blame Diana for being a little confused at this point. Now, will Martha learn from Diana? Martha Rayenza is next on the wheel. There's the trumpets. She's holding off. Can you blame her? There goes Badlax again. Just going to fling the mace across. Oh, I see. They're toying with her. 37 seconds and counting. You make look at him toy with her. You think King Orpher would be proud of this game, Mike? Touch the infield so she doesn't get credit for that lap. You can't put both feet on that infield mat. You gotta stay on the outside of the dish. Mata Lianza, she's a former. I guess you wouldn't be the face with a mace. She's a base with a mace. Oh, she's she can do it. Come on, Mata, you gotta get across the Come on! Oh, but she got 10 points. Battle axe, D-G-A-F. You know Martha sees the giant At least she got one rotation in there, one lap. Yeah, that's true. Give me back to Argentina. Battle axe says, hey, I got your ride to Argentina. Well, you know what you were talking about when we say good versus evil. You're seeing I got your ride to Argentina. Oh, my God. Oh, cripes. So, Chico, you got a list of all the events that are on this show. I do have a list of all the events on this show. Uh, we just saw the first two. That would be Catapult, where they are trying to dodge yellow balls while trying to catch red balls and throwing them into the ring of fire like some Lord of the Rings nightmare. Then you have the Sorcerer's Wheel, where yeah, our players are trying to run around on a spinning platform while uh, dodging the giant mace of death. And, and jumping the hurdles. It's the event that we just hurdles, listened yes. to. Yeah. And then you have battle swords, where the knight and the warrior are running across treadmills on an elevated platform, trying to knock each other down with foam bats. Yes, it's the joust. <laughs> On a treadmill. Yeah, I was going to use your line. Does this remind you of anything? Good. Good. Use it. Does this remind you of anything? And then you have a volcano where you have to climb up a 30 foot volcano shaped net. And inside the net are four warriors. One is strapped to a harness, the other three are controlled by the height and angle. The hardest warrior has pads to knock the knight down, trying to prevent them from scoring. So it's basically the knights and warriors version of the wall, only in a net. Roller joust. Each knight has 45 seconds to skate around the jousting arena, trying to dodge two warriors who try to bring the knight down. The knight carried a foam lance, which was used to capture rings on poles scattered around the arena. Red rings are worth 10 points, while the gold rings are worth 25. For the first 15 seconds, the knights could take one of the paths forming an X inside the arena to escape the warriors. Once inside the X, the warriors couldn't enter or interfere. After 15 seconds, the warrior-free zone was lifted, and play would resume as normal. 
Hey, hey, Greg. What? How would King Arthur react to rollerblades being a thing back in medieval days? He'd be like, wow, this is amazing. You're on these roller skates? Well, hold on a second. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't Thomas Eden Nichols from Rookie of the Year go to his court in that movie, Chico? Do you remember that? I do remember that. Maybe he introduced him to rollerblades and he was like... We're getting ahead of ourselves, guys. <laughs> We're getting... Okay. All right. Then you have the Tugga Warriors. The Knight and the Warrior stood on rotating platforms while each of them pulled on a rope. The Knight had 30 seconds to pull the Warrior off their platform. If the Knight won... He or she earns 100. If 30 seconds expired or both went over, 50 points were awarded for a draw. The Pit. The Knights were pitted against each other in a bowl-like arena. The Warriors outside the bowl would rocket back and forth with the Knights inside it. The object in the game was for one Knight to pin the other using a pad. Depending on where the pin was, the bowl had four scoring sections. Two 25-point sections... 150 and 175. This was basically Breakthrough and Conquer at a Super Bowl without yeah. the Breakthrough. No. Breakthrough and Conquer was the best game on American Gladiators. I love that. Yep. Oh, yeah. And the final event. Uh, Greg, you want to bring the episode back up? Okay. Is it the final event at the end, Chico? Yes, this is the end game right here. Okay, hold on. Let me try to get it. It's, it feels like one of those games that was focus group tested. Like, which of these two words do you like the best? All right, let me play it right here. The final event, Target Onslaught. It's played in two parts. The entire Warrior Dome is converted into a huge shooting gallery. In the first part, one teammate has 30 seconds to hit six floor targets. And the weapon of choice, this specially designed power crossbow. The archer will be trying to earn time rather than points. Starting with a minimum 30 seconds in the bank, each hit is worth an extra five seconds. One hit pushes the total to 35, two hits to 40 seconds, and so on. That total is then passed on to the shooter's teammate for the second half. In the second part, the other teammate must hit the high-flying onslaughting warriors as they zigzag their way toward the shooter. A warrior hit on the first slide is worth 150 points, second 100 points, and the last closest slide is worth 50 points. The purple team of Marta Leonza and Jeff Jockham will go first. They are leading by only 50 points. Marta has elected to shoot first for her team. The Knights are ready. And the first active target is the Moon. She shoots low, but she's online. Just has to raise it up a little bit. Yes, nice shot. 23 to go. She gets an early oh. target. Now she is going for a horse. One of the horses and fires. She was close, just to the left. 16 seconds and counting. Just low. Another one, and she might have it. 11 seconds. She has five extra seconds for her teammate already. She is shooting for the sun. The horse. Yes, she got the horse. That's 10 seconds. She got the horse. Three seconds to go. And she gets the dragon. But the Leonza hits three targets. And she, with those three targets hit, will pass on 15 extra seconds to her partner, Jeff. He will step up to the power. Cross All right, 15. Get ready to take on the war. Look at him. Like, oh, you want none of this. I should have gone ziplining! 38 seconds of counting 
quickly reload. He misses Nightmare. Back to the deep end zone of the Warrior Dome. He can't hit play. He's shooting for the middle and missing Battle X. 28 seconds and counting. Another shot is about to be fired. He aims and misses. Chaos! Do you think King Arthur would be proud of zip lines, Mike? Zip lines. Zip lines. He is low with Steel Maiden. The Warriors are all over him. Battleaxe moves out of his way. Five seconds. Four. Oh, she got it. Got her right in the butt. And he is able to get a 50 on the front rail. Wow, 50 points, a grand total now of 420. Okay, so that was a two-tiered version of assault, essentially. Yeah, essentially. Uh, uh, assault the cardboard cutouts and then assault the warriors. Yes. Mm, okay. Not terribly derivative. Derivative. Unfortunately, guys, only 26 weeks for this show. Uh, uh, it, but, but it had such disjointed scoring. Look how they... They made everything like top heavy in that last round. Oh, yeah. You were playing the, the, the first round, you're going five, 10, or 15 points and 10 points per lap in that wheel game. And now it's 50, 100, 150. Oh boy, does, that doesn't sound like a golden snitch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Chica, what's our next series? Well, our next series, we have to go to 1994 for our next series. And it is a show that, okay, imagine American Gladiators if it were mixed with Starlight Express. Starlight Express, 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 Starlight Express. Starlight Express. Starlight Express. I'm talking about Blade Warriors. Blade Warriors? I didn't even realize this was on the itinerary. Okay. Yes, I told you. I found details about this show this morning. I watched an episode of it, and I remember this as the show that it was canceled before it finished out the season. Okay. Allegedly because the, because it aired in syndication from October 1st, 1994 to April 1st, 1995 the uh, distributor ran out of money. Uh oh. Uh oh. I knew Susan was going to chime in. Yeah. And the games itself were very derivative but the thing of it is, uh, l- like the American Gladiators, there was no narrative to the uh, house band. But unlike the American Gladiators, they did not have stage names. And one of the events actually teamed up the contenders with the Blade Warriors. Oh. All right. Yep, we had, as the Warriors, Tammy Gantz, Deanna Wilshire, Kim Bowie, Katie Bloomer, Donna Dennis, Chris Mitchell, Eric Wiley, Pat Parnell, Alan Vado, Corey Miller, and team captain AJ Action Jackson. And the events were, again, 
very, very derivative. I mean, imagine, okay, we have rollerblades. We have a giant studio that's actually a hangar. We have a bunch of half pipes. We have a bunch of ramps. What are we going to do with this? Well, here's what they did with this. Okay, our first event was Blade Ball, which had uh, contestants competing in a half pipe against two Blade Warriors. They have to skate to the other side with a Blade Ball and throw it into one of four rows of pods with the highest pod scoring eight points. But the Warriors are allowed full body contact in the pipe. So it's basically half-pipe skating with football and basketball. The second event was full tilt. Each contestant would face the same warrior one-on-one. Two stood on a large teeter-totter that tipped in alternating directions. No body contact allowed. And the player gets 15 seconds to score five. And then for the full ride, it increased to 30. And if they knocked the Blade Warrior off, it was 20 points. But each side would be assessed a penalty if they stayed in the center for more than three seconds or if there was contact. Ooh, three-second violations, sort of like basketball. Exactly. Then you have Techno Tag. Both contestants play with four warriors, each of whom had four light sticks attached to their person. Players attempted to steal these one at a time from the Warriors and place them into their power station for four points each. Then you have Slab Shot, which was basically hockey with four scoring areas. Ricochet was always played next to last, and this was actually... Here's the thing. Most of the events had the uh, contestants face off against the Warriors. This one had the contestants teaming up with the Warriors against each other. A variation of basketball, each contender would choose a Warrior to be their teammate. Each tried to score a ball into their goal by ricocheting hits off a backboard into their scoring bin. Then you have Blockout. Each contender faced a Warrior simultaneously for 60 seconds, who would attempt to guard a wall of 24 blocks. Each block beyond the boundary is worth a point. Then there's tightrope. Contenders would face a different warrior one-on-one for 60 seconds. Both contender and warrior would hold out the bungee cords, allowing them to jump higher on the ramps. And place a ball into one of five scoring trays. Each ball left in the tray was worth four points. And the final event was steeplescape, which was a one-on-one obstacle course, which featured, in order... Five ramps, a pole slide, a climb up a flight of stairs, a climb down a flight of stairs, a rope climb, a bridge, a barrel run, three rope swings, and a quarter pipe to the finish line. All on rollerblades. Wow. Uh, The person who wants... Steeplescape. It's usually the Golden Snitch who would get 35 points and the game. And theoretically, the end of the season, somebody would win $100,000. But we never saw the end of the season because the syndicator ran out of money. 
I was a bit miffed at that. I remember watching this Saturday afternoons right after American Gladiators ended. But that's all I remember. All right. Well, actually, that's not all I remember. Because remember, this was uh, about the same time where people were starting to get all educational and informational, and they had to, you know, put in a bit of safety measures and the safety films about it. So there was Blade Breaks, where you had public service announcements basically promoting skating safety. Oh, and the studio was uh, sponsored by GNC. Because of course. Because of course it was. And that's basically all you need to know about Blade Warriors. Well, I appreciate it because I'd never heard of this show. No, neither did I. I didn't expect we were going to be covering this. So this next show, this was actually an interesting show that aired in the late 90s and the early 2000s. aired for two seasons. Yes! Yep. And it was created by the same guy who did Typo. Billy yep. Blanks! Billy Blanks, yes. Uh, this would be Battle Dome, which aired from September 4th, 1999 to April 1st, 2001 for 30 episodes. Okay, so American Gladiators was good. Battle Dome was going to be American Gladiators with uh, the characters from Knights and Warriors. And like Knights and Warriors, there was a narrative in that... I, what? Yeah, there was a narrative in the Battle Dome. So imagine a boatload of warriors taking to the Battle Dome and each one of them are competing for a championship belt in a week. Wait, they're competing for a championship belt? Hey, Aligante, <laughs> what do you have to say about that? Oh, I, God. I want the belt! <laughs> I want the belt! I want your belt! I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming, and I did nothing to stop it. I don't regret one single thing. So there you go. Aside from the... Uh, contenders competing against each other and against the Battletoe Warriors, the Warriors were competing against themselves. And if you look at the sort of intro that every uh, Battletoe Warrior gets, like their walk-up music, Greg, you know what I'm talking about? Their yeah, walk-up music. the walk-up music. Like Not only do they game. have their own walk-up music, some of them have their own escorts. Oh, escorts! You get escorts on this show! Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, for example, Odell, which is played by future American gladiator Mike O'Hearn, had... Are you ready for this? What did he have? He had the Dom triplets. Ooh! The Dom triplets! Yep. And uh, sort of the uh, emissary for the chairman, who is played... Theoretically, by Billy Blanks, but we never see or hear the chairman. The emissary, Bobby Haven, is played by Bobby Brown, who you might remember as the hot chick in Ward's Cherry Pie video. Oh, obviously not that other Bobby Brown. No. Or Millie Bobby Brown. or Or Bobby Christina Brown. Not her either. No, not her either. Rest in peace. 
Yes. So you have elements of pro wrestling mixed with the legitimacy, because this was legit. This was 100% legit. Yes. This was 100% legit. And you have three players competing against each other. And at the end of the season, because this was all a tournament, and at the end of the season, one person would win the Battle Dome title. And what was the prize for Battle Dome, I wonder? Probably money. And a belt. Money and a car, probably. Money, money, a car, and a belt. Yes, money, car, and a belt, I bet. Yeah, they never said what it was, but I'm guessing oh. money, card, and a belt. belt. Belt, you could show it off to everybody. You could show off the belt, get the money. Get the yeah. car. Be like Virgil, getting that F money riding the car with your belt. There you go. We have the uh, events of the Battle Dome here. We have Battle Wheel, with two warriors competed. The events took place on a large rotating platform which resembled a right circular cone with its outside edge and apex flattened. Contestors have 60 seconds to force both warriors to touch the bottom ring with any part of their body. The warriors were allowed full body contact. They were allowed to do anything necessary to keep this from occurring. And oh god. One of the Warriors had a nasty injury on the battle wheel toward the end of Season 1, which is why you didn't see much of Jake Fury after a while. Oh. We'll get to the Warriors in a second. But, yeah. Now, Season 2, they changed up the battle wheel to make the bottom wider, making it difficult for a contestant to defeat a Warrior, and also so to uh, prevent ankle blowouts. Then you have Takedown, which is basically Breakthrough and Conquer without the Conquer. Oh, that stinks. Yeah. The third event was Roller Cage. In the first season, it was Roller Cage of Fire. In the second season, the fire was removed, obviously. But you had 60 seconds to get a warrior out of a cylindrical cage with strategically placed holes in it. The fourth event was aerial kickboxing. Aerial kickboxing! Aerial kickboxing. Hey, Mike, you think King Arthur would be satisfied with aerial kickboxing? Oh, I don't think he'd be satisfied until there's aerial MMA. That's basically what this is. Okay, oh, I'm going to try and read this with a straight face here. I'm a, I'm a professional. I'm a professional. Contenders and opposing warriors hung from undulating metal grids roughly 10 feet off the ground. The contender attempted to kick the warrior off the grid within 60 seconds without being removed from the grid themselves. So they were on a grid. They were hanging on a grid. Imagine hang tough but with kicking. With kicking. Oh, jeez. Kicks to the head were technically against the rules and would result in DQs. 
At least one contender was DQ'd because of headshots. However, the referee often looked the other way with the warrior who is usually playing this game, which is usually Bubba King, who kicked almost every contender in the head, but was only called on it once. Oh, that's unfair. Those refs must have been on the take. I imagine it was. Everybody else was on the take. Remember, characters, narrative. The next game is G-Force, a central rotating tower at three arms extending to the top of the central tower. Each of the contenders hung onto a handle at the end of each arm. A warrior stood on the platform above the tower, throwing balls at the contender as the tower spun. Tower speed increased steadily as the event progressed. The last contender standing earned 25 points. Then there was Battle Bridge, a large bridge spun quickly in midair. The contender and the warrior were each given a large padded club to use to knock the other off the bridge as it spun. Does this remind you of anything? And then there's Battlefield. Similar to Powerball on American Gladiators, contenders competed one-on-one against a single warrior who defended a single scoring bin. Scoring bin was located at the center of the playing field the top an approximately five foot tall pyramid. The warrior wore boxing gloves and could freely attack the contenders as much as they wanted to keep them from scoring. Then there was Battle Hoop. Contenders began in the center of a circular field. A large hanging hoop moved around the outside perimeter of the field with its opening always facing the center of the field. A warrior stood on the outside perimeter of the field to block the contender from jumping through the hoop. Contenders had 60 seconds to try and jump through the hoop as many times as they could, returning to the center after each attempt. Then there is Battle Wall. Are are you sense a theme here? Everything has battle in it. Contenders had to get over three walls defended by the Battle Dome Warriors. A warrior stood on opposite side of each wall. Each wall was around three feet in height. The walls became narrower as the event went on, making it harder to get by the warriors. Each wall that a contender was successful in climbing was worth 25. And then you have Evader. A contender had to light targets while avoiding medicine balls being launched by two warriors. Contenders had 60 seconds to light up all the targets on the two towers, one at a time. Originally, the Warriors only had to hit the contenders three times to end the match, but it was later increased to five. I'm guessing because they thought three was too easy and they wanted a little bit more action. Then there's anti-gravity. Always played last because of the point opportunities. Contenders had to light strips by hitting buttons on a grid while moving along handles placed on the grid. Every strip lit was worth 25 for a possible 150. Contenders were also chased by a Battle Dome Warrior, which was almost always the commander, and could lose the game in one of two ways, either by losing their grip, which would result in a contender floating away, or having the warrior rip off their harness and send them to the ground. And then there's Interceptor, Called a game of cat and mouse, a contender had to fly around the interceptor grid, lighting targets worth 25 points until caught by the warrior. Again, 
almost always the commander. Each target was worth 25. There was a maximum of 175 points. And then there's the final event, the ultimate body slam. This was a tiebreaker, usually between the warriors for the right to hold the warrior belt. I want the belt! Yes, you want the belt. Okay, I get that. If the top warrior had been less than stellar and a fellow warrior close to the rankings had performed well but not well enough to win the belt outright, the two warriors would compete in Ultimate Body Slam. This game was simply a test of endurance. Each player stood on a platform behind a metal disc. The discs were then pulled back and slammed into each other at increasing rates of speed and velocity until one of the two fell off and lost. And those are the events. Wow. Hey, did we mention who hosted Battledome? Yeah, Battletoad was hosted by a veteran broadcaster, an incredible broadcaster, a guy by the name of Steve Albert. Oh, yes, the brother of Morv Albert. So it looks like a younger version of... Um, looks like a younger version of Marv Albert. Now, wait, if we're talking about Steve Albert... Oh, I know what you're oh, going, Mike. You're darn right I'm going to say it. And, and the thing is, this maybe is slightly derivative of our very derivative show here because Steve Albert back in the early nineties was with Jesse Ventura was part of the show, the grudge match. Yes. Uh, Yes. The grudge match. Oh, and that we're going to cover one day because I love the grudge match. Oh yes. Uh, Well, speaking of Jesse, we're going to be talking about him next month too. Oh, but yes. Uh, but oh, we didn't well, mention the most famous person that came out of this show. Wait a minute, we're not done with the hosts yet. Oh, oh, that's yep. right, I forgot. Yeah, <clears throat> his co-host on this show. He had two co-hosts, one for season one and one for season but two. But this one, I'm so excited about. I know you're excited about this one. His season one co-host was Burrell, aka Scott Burrell. As in on CBS Sports Radio. I was just going to say, are we talking about Pharrell from CBS Sports Radio? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, we are. Uh, If you've never heard Scott Pharrell, what can I say? What does his voice sound like, guys? Uh, Um, He he swallowed like a 20-pound bag of gravel. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. No, it's very coarse, very, very rough. Yes. Yes. But I didn't know that's the, the, they're one and the same. That's great. Yep. And then and that- there is the second season host, which was Ed Lover, if you remember Ed and Dre from Yo! MTV Raps back in the day. Oh, who doesn't remember Yo! MTV Raps? And just so we're clear, not that one not that dr dre there's two dr dre's he's kind of like a variant of dr dre but not exactly you know what i'm talking about chico i know exactly what you're talking about those are your hosts now let's talk about the warriors the series had nine of them one of them went on to become an american gladiator one of them went on to become the host of america's got talent 
I'll leave it up to you to decide who had the better career move. Here's a hint. It wasn't the American Gladiator. All right. The first one is uh, Bubba King, the king of aerial kickboxing. And yes, judging by his name, you would be right in assuming he's a bit of a good old boy. Know what I mean when I say a bit of a good old boy? Oh, I hear you loud and clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And again, he likes to say he's the king of aerial kickboxing. Very few defeats, almost invincible. And uh, did not play any other event during the show's run. He was just on the... uh, Kickboxing. On the aerial kickboxing. And he was played by a guy by the name of Timothy Elwell, who isn't known for doing much of anything else. He was in Cop Out as Officer Number Two. Officer Number Two in the Kevin Smith movie Cop Out. He also played an officer in the original Charmed. And he sort of branched out on an episode of Jag where he played a guard. Oh, wow! That's a great change of pace. He went from playing an officer to a guard. And before that, he branched out further on an episode of Ellen where he played security guy. (laughs) Our second warrior is the commander played by Christian Beving. The commander, he is a jacked up army guy, basically. And his specialty event was anti-gravity, with Interceptor being a close second. He's one of the smaller warriors, but at the same time, he's very quick. And he's played by a guy by the name of Christian Beving, who was known mostly for playing what is that? A snowy cone guy in Batman and Robin? Oh yeah, because Mr. Freeze. Yep, that's Mr. Freeze. He also played Grendel in Beowulf, Prince of the Gants. That's not the good version, by the way. Okay. And he played a bodyguard in the Daredevil movie, so... The the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Yes. Our third warrior is Kuda, who is the largest warrior during season one. He is, uh, he practices the dark arts, let's just say. The dark arts? Is this like Doctor Strange in that episode of What If? Yes, except there's a little bit more voodoo involved. Oh. He dominated on Battle Wheel, and he always appeared in the top position on this event. He made fleeting appearances on other events. And I will always remember him for a bit of a stunt he did with Jake Fury, which we'll talk about later, where he drank blood from a skull and turned Jake Fury into his human puppet. What? And then later, it was forbidden (laughs) by The Undertaker. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. 
Like, you think I'm kidding? I'm not. Kuda was played by Rudolph Jones, and he was indeed a really huge guy. Next is DOA. Yes, that's his name. He made few appearances in season one, but became much more prolific in season two. Especially that appeared to be Roller Cage. DOA, played by a guy by the name of Chad Bannon, who played Red Ape Soldier in the 2001 Planet of the Apes, New Club Bouncer at A Night at the Roxbury, and Beefy Guy, (laughs) that is his name, Beefy Guy in the... An episode of VIP. Oh, VIP! I don't think he was in the VIP video game. No, he was not. Uh, I I want to play this beefy guy in that video game. (laughs) Then you have Jake Fury, the wild and unpredictable wild guy. He was a leather man. He was a biker. He was able at G-Force and Evader, but he was not really good at any one game in particular. He suffered an ankle injury in Season 1, but he did return in Season 2, so good on him. Yeah, good on him. And he's played by Gary Casper. If I'm not mistaken, we talked about him on a previous installment. We did? I want to say we did. I what don't if, know which one though. Which show? What, did you check his IMDb page? I'm I'm checking his IMDb page right now. Huh. It's full of a lot of well, listings of him as that guy in that thing, that tough guy in that thing. But it's not. It's probably not important. No, it's probably, it's probably not important. Yeah, we don't really have to be concerned about that. Okay. Who else do we have in this show? We have Michael O'Dell, played by Mike O'Hearn. As we all know, he was one of the Gladiators on the 2008 American Gladiators reboot. Fun fact, he was actually an alternate Gladiator that was never used on the original Gladiators. Wow. But yeah, O'Dell, for lack of a better phrase... Is a pretty boy. Handsome, toned, jacked, and tanned. He is uh, one of the best all-around warriors. He usually plays takedown, but he could have been seen playing aerial kickboxing as well. And then you have Payne. Yes, that's what they called him. Payne. Appeared during season one as a cover for injured warriors. He was an alternate, basically. Okay. He, he entered the arena wearing a straight jacket and howling. He's played by John Sparadeo, who is known mostly nowadays as a camera person. Another alternate warrior was Sleepwalker, who I guess he was a bit of a mystic. We only saw him about once or twice, so. He was played by Woon Young Park, who is a stuntman by trade. 
And finally, the last of the season one warriors. A smug, arrogant, money-making pimp daddy, always accompanied by his posse, blinked up with jewelry and a dollar sign chain around his neck, always wearing a designer suit, and really good at a lot of games. He is, of course, T-Money. T-Money! And, of course, T-Money is played by Terry Crews. And if you don't know who Terry Crews is... No, no, it's like, why are you even here? Go away. Just don't listen to this podcast anymore. Really? Really? Seriously? Okay, so all the Warriors, except for Payne and Sleepwalker, returned for Season 2 with New Warriors Baby Blue, an alternate, played by Anthony McClanahan, who is unbeatable in takedown. Johnny Rocco, he was a Guido. He played takedown and battle hoop a lot, played by Ron Sorenzo. Snake. What's wrong? Snake! Snake! Who was, again, another all-around player. He was played by Jesse Justice Smith Jr. I believe he, too, was an American Gladiator in the 2008 reboot. Mad Dog Steel, who got injured uh, early in Season 2. Moose, who is an alternate warrior, and the biggest of all the warriors. And the Prince. He was the Prince. He looked like an Arabian knight. But he made on and off appearances throughout the season. Battle Wheel was his bag. Played by Maximilian Atoki. And no, this is not vaguely racist at all. What are you talking about? Okay, that's everybody. That's every. Oh, wait. Wait a minute. There is one more. Okay. Uh, Justice Smith was also on Tough Enough, placing third. Oh, what year? What season? I think it was season two, actually. Oh, okay. That explains it. So that was Battle Doom. Marv Albert's brother, Pharrell on the bench, the Dom triplets, Ed Lover from Yo! MTV Raps, the host of America's Got Talent, and everybody else. Oh, and would you believe that they did an angle with WCW? Oh, God. Oh, Greg, I'm tapping you in on this one. Cause, okay. Cause you know. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, they did, like, a spot with, like, Terry Crews fighting Rick Steiner on Battledome. I'll just play it right here. It's Team Money versus Rick Steiner. I, they should have had Scott do a promo about Terry Crews' chances of winning on Battledome against his brother. Looks like he was up against his posse for a second there. Yeah, hold on, let me play it. So Brakes Mountain has hit the brakes, and hey, wait a minute, what's this now? What? T-Money's theme music is <laughs> Oh, oh my God, what is that? Rick Steiner is doing a terrible cosplay as T-Money. Oh, Rick wants the car. 
Oh, Ring is. Now remember, Rick is a legit collegiate wrestler from the University of Michigan. So this is going to be an exciting contest. Yes. And by the way, Terry Crews, former NFL player. So we have a collegiate wrestler and an NFL player. They're about to play takedown. This is about to get Leap is about to get real, real quick. So this has really become personal. Oh. Hold on, I want to find it again. Look at this. So this has really become personal. Terry just he just tapped him one, man. He just tapped Rick on the face. Tapped him. Tapped him what? That's the first one that scores. Wins. Steiner on defense. T Money on offense. Oh! Into the glass. Down goes T Money with Steiner on top. This is becoming more of a brawl than a takedown event. And look at the WCW. Oh no! Ernest Miller and Buff Bagwell have just. Oh, they've invaded and they're attacking the. Oh no, this is this is horrible. This is unfair. This is four against one. DDP's there too. What an ambush. What a unwarranted ambush. Workity, 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 work. Obvious work is obvious. Thanks, Dallas, though, for cutting that promo. And by the way, the Battle Dome people did appear on the November 6, 2000 episode of WCW Monday Nitro to take it right back to the. Did they beat down TDP? Well, you have to watch it on Peacock because. You know, Peacock now is all the WWE Network stuff, so they have every episode of Nitro now. So you can go into the Nitro section on Peacock and watch that episode, so. Ah, I got you. Yeah. I got you. All right. Okay. So so we got one more. All right. American Gladiators in the Old West. In the Old West, but not just in the Old West. It's like, Mike, remember the game Mad Dog McCree? Oh, I yeah, I remember that. This is what it felt like watching this show. It felt like if you made an American Gladiators version of Mad Dog McCree. Yeah. Only replace the Gladiators with a band of outlaws and replace the Contenders with a band of cowboys looking to... And act law and order in a lawless stage. This is Wild West Showdown. It aired in syndication from September 17th, 1994 to March 11th, 1995. See, this is just like Mad Dog McCree.
next cowboys are the murdering kind. Oh. That's what makes this the town from hell. But travelers head here anyways. They know the town's desperate to give $5,000 to anyone who can fix these cowboys. Three of them are on their way to try. Oh, they here they come. They've <laughs> left the comforts of their lives to face an unknown fate. <laughs> My name is Nicholas Bosher. I was oh. born in uh, Burbank, raised in Northridge, and now I live in oh, Dulce, California. I have two needs. In so my I don't. Okay, guys, I don't understand this. So this is set in the Wild West, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing like the contestants come in. They're dressed as cowboys, but we're seeing like their life. Like I don't understand it at all. It's like there's no like. Cave- it's Westworld with less robots, Greg. Oh, okay. So this is basically Westworld, but no robots. Yeah. Everyone is like in that. And nobody South- dies. Nobody dies, but it's like that South Park episode where they're in the West, but no one refuses to break character. No one refuses to break character, yes. Okay, so that's what Except, it is. Except of course for their bios. And of course you have the outlaws who are looking to mark their territory in the many events in the Wild West showdown. Each of them worth money to those who completed them usually the fastest the furthest the quickest whatever what have you and the player with the most money at the end of the showdown goes on to the final showdown for five thousand dollars reward money hey if we're gonna be in kayfabe we're gonna be in kayfabe all the way we're gonna be in kayfabe the entire show damn it yep and interestingly enough, that guy you heard in the opening, the guy who was, you know, all rough and tumble and ready and ready to go and listen to my rough and raggy voice, you know who played him? Who? Alex Arrowolf Cord. What? Yep. That, that was Alex Cord. That was Alex Cord. Oh, we just lost him this year recently. Yes, we did. Yeah, like two months within the last two months or so. Oh, uh, but but also, if you want a positive, all this, Greg. Yeah, he he'll be a celebrity on the second to last week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Oh, good. Yep. Hold on. Wait, uh, time uh, out, time out. Since we did say that he was on Airwolf, Mike. Yeah, you know, we should play. Considering who else was on air, what should we play? What's that? <laughs> the Ernest Borgnine clip. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh no! Play it. I masturbate a lot. That that that's for you, Alex Cord, wherever you're at. We miss you. <laughs> we miss you, Alex. We'll see in like two weeks on Match Game Hollywood Squares. Yeah, because they resumed the uh, from they where they left the off. New episodes, yes, yes, because they're on the week with uh, Chuck Woolery and uh, McLean Stevenson and everybody. Ah, oh, can't get enough of more McLean. But all right, let's get on with this. Do we have anything else to add about Wild West Showdown? Uh, only that the person who was on the field, the, the field correspondent. Was 
a very young Lisa Guerrero. Yes, Lisa Guerrero. Before when, uh, before her career blew up. Yeah, because of course, obviously Monday Night Football, and oh, guys, she was the co-host on Sports Geniuses on FSN with Matt Vaskersian. Yep, yeah, as we was. like to remind everybody, Matt Vaskersian was a contestant on Supermarket Sweep. Say it, Mike. What's a heifer? Oh, sorry. <laughs> a heifer. What's a heifer? Heifer. 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 Think about a heifer. Run, run, Matt, run. Just run. Think about a heifer having a historical time at a comedy run. club. What is a heifer? Where are we going? What is a heifer? And the announcer, we mentioned him on this episode already, Joe Fowler. Oh, yes! See, this is quality. Joe Fowler began this episode and he ended this episode. Yep. Because if you want quality, you get Joe Fowler. He has the quality voice. Oh, he does. And again, very excitable, the Joe Fowler Oh, I can't wait till next month when we talk about him again. It'll be an amazing episode. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. All right. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, this didn't last too long. As I said, this reminded me a lot of Mad Dog McCree. So, I have a listing of the events here. Oh, okay. What are the events? Okay, we have Rawhide. Where in which a cowboy was dragged behind by an outlaw horse and attempted to reach a release rope to break away in the fastest time. Yeah, that looked like a dangerous game. But they were all on uh, leather mats, so it's okay. Safe. Stagecoach. The cowboys ride a galloping horse, try to catch up with the runaway stagecoach, mount it, and stop it. Saloon brawl. A player had 45 seconds to pull an outlaw out of the saloon in a one-on-one tug-of-war. Played somewhat similar to Cocker of American Gladiators. Next, there is Water Tower. Similar to the Wall, the Cowboys went up 45 seconds to scale a water tower and defuse a bomb at the top of said water tower. Meanwhile, the Outlaw is chasing them, and the Cowboys and the Outlaws would begin on opposite sides of the tower. And if you fail to do so, the water tower explodes. So there's that. Okay. Then there's ambush. Players run about the town while dodging enemy fire from up to four or five outlaws. Cowboys were rewarded cash for each outlaw hit and could get a bonus for hitting every outlaw. Getting hit once by an outlaw ended the event. Log jam. Similar to the breakthrough portion of Breakthrough and Conquer, the cowboys went up to cross a river full of logs within 45 seconds while being chased by an outlaw. And then there's the Pony Express, where the Cowboys would compete in a race against each other through town on horses, picking up bags of cash along the way. The one who crosses the finish line first wins. And like I said, there are usually five events in every episode. Each event is worth money. The first two were worth 100 the next two, 150 and the last one for 200 But the player with the most money advances to the final showdown. And in the final showdown... A run through the town, climbing over buildings to reach a bag of cash to get to a horse and make a getaway 
through the town within a two-minute time limit without getting hit by the outlaws shooting paintball bullets at them. If they succeeded, they won 5,000. But if they survived but took more than two minutes to complete all the tasks, they still got a $1,000 bonus. And that was Wild West Showdown. All right. Now, I have the names of, well, I don't have the, the uh, K-Fabe names of the uh, outlaws. But I do have the names of the outlaws here. They were Sandy Barrowman, Tramel James, Lynn Jonkowski, Cheryl Lawson, Jensen Keith Lynn, Jeff Manzanares, Kerry Marine Mellon, Randall Oliver, Jason Reigns Rodriguez, Con Shell, and Craig Branham. Now, if Craig Branham sounds familiar, he was actually the grand champion of season two of American Gladiators. Oh, okay. I only remember that because I rewatched that episode that they took off the American Gladiators channel off of Pluto. By the way, RIP the American Gladiators channel. Oh, it's ended now? It's ended now. Oh. Boo. I'm guessing they're now going to Prime since MGM now owns it. Probably. I mean, that would make sense. But yeah, that was Wild West Showdown. It's, uh, it was like American Gladiators in the Old West. Greg here. One thing we didn't mention during the taping of this episode was that Wild West Showdown is actually produced by the Samuel Goldwyn Company, which is the company that produced and syndicated American Gladiator. So that would make sense as to why it's so similar to American Gladiators and a whole bunch of other things. All I can say is, can we watch the final showdown? Because I can't think of anything to say about this show. You basically have two minutes to run through the town, grab money, get on your horse, beat it out of town. So now that you think about it, wouldn't the Cowboys be the ultimate bad guys? I don't know. Let's find out. Well, there's a bag with money in it waiting for Sherry if she gets through town in one piece. If she don't, we'll use the bag to send her home. Sherry's oh, sure going to be earning her money if she gets That was very dark, Alex. Scored. Three fingers on the roof, silk on the porch, Badger and Chance guarding the balcony, and George in the corral. They're all hankering to hit her with a paint bullet and keep her money. Sherry chooses the easy way through town, over the rooftops. She pulls hard to get on that first roof. Bull's waiting for her. He always likes a good gun battle. He's out of bullets, and Sherry makes a run for it. Up He's out of bullets. He's out of bullets. Everybody's out of bullets. Sure is straining hard. Another rooftop. Another gunfight. This time with three fingers. He runs out of ammo too. Must be a shortage in town. Sherry has leaps to the has next anyone ever hit one of the uh, outlaws? I don't know. It looks hard. What would happen if one of them hit? If one of them was hit? 
with the game end across to the boarding house that's how the women boarders get most of their visitors she's down the chimney and out the door to her bag of a thousand oh, five dollar bills oh one thousand five dollar bills mattress now she just has to swing zip lighting to her getting shot she hits the ground she has to do that was uh don't want to leave in town oh he hit her oh there you go he dies each are we supposed to believe he's dead? Now, if a horse ain't been drinking his own liniment, she's heading what? to tell her kid how she was the hero of his broken neck. Why would a horse drink his own liniment? Sarah, you are one tough lady. I don't you know. Are fast, too, because you completed the final showdown round in a minute and 45 seconds. You won $5,000. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks, Lisa Guerrero. I had a blast. I had a blast. Well, go good spend to be your here. money. I'm out of here. See ya. Bye. <laughs> oh, there she goes on the horse. <laughs> oh, just... And you know what? Props to everybody for staying committed to the bits. Yes. They stayed in kayfabe. Except not really, because, well, $5,001 bills or $1,005 yes, bills. That's what Alex Quinn said is $1,005 bills. Was it like the time when <laughs> freaking Charlie Ebersole had to give Marshawn Lynch all those quarters for that interview? Probably. <laughs> that's a callback. Ate it just though. Okay. Oh, and also one. Oh, 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 and also one thing I want to add. Yeah. Lisa Guerrero. Do you know who she's married to? Who's she, Who's married-, she married to? Okay, Greg. Here's a name from almost thirty years ago, twenty-five okay. years ago okay. or so. Who is it? Do you remember the pitcher for the Orioles, Scott Erickson? Yes, I do remember Scott Erickson. That's her husband. Wow. They're married. That's it. That's oh, it. Scott Harrison is married to Lisa Guerrero. How about that, that is fantastic. It's just not it's not fair. Life is not fair. Life is officially not fair. You know what? Scott Erickson, he was a fine pitcher, but he was no Mike Nucina. He was a good complimentary piece. He was a Mike compliment Mucina. to Mike Mucina on the Orioles. But... but but he was not a Hall of Famer. No. No, Mike Mucina was he had like that head move whenever someone was on base that you know what I'm talking about. A little kind of oh, yeah. shake whenever someone was on base, so you can make sure you pick him off, just make sure where the runner is. I love that. Okay. So all these shows. All these shows tried to compete with American Gladiators, tried to capture that American Gladiators magic. But try to get that American Gladiators money. But in the end, all four of these shows, they were just things on TV. Yep. Oh, and we didn't even scratch the surface, really. We could have talked about Gladiators 2000, the kids' version of Gladiators, with a quasi-educational sort of vibe. Yeah. But also, we we could have mentioned Guts. We could have mentioned Guts. I'll tell you right now. Tell you right now, put Gladiators 2000 up against Guts. Sorry, Ryan Seacrest. Guts wins every time. 
I forgot Did Ryan Seacrest was on Gladiators 2000. Oh, yeah. He was Gladiators 2000. Oh, yeah. Hey, it made his career like Wings made Tony Shalhoub's career. He's not you, wrong. You, you hear no disagreement from me. Anyway, uh, we've just about plumbed dry, so we're going to ride our horses on out of here. But first, what, we want to invite you to visit our website. It was a thing on TV.com, where you'll find all of our other episodes, our mini-sodes, our uh, extras, our socials. We're on all of the socials. We're even on YouTube, where, again, like and subscribe. And when you do, don't forget to hit the notification bell. Another shot is taken, and there is the gong! Oh, I love that gong. That gong will never get old. Anyway, you do that, you help this channel grow and beat the YouTube algorithm. Yeah, and subscribe to us on uh, the Facebook page. Give us a like. Give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. That helps, too. Yes. And when next we meet, it's going to be that time of year, gents. It's almost October. Oh. If you are a fan of the Red Sox, it means you're staying at home watching the Patriots. But if you're a fan of the Yankees, it means you're hoping against hope that a miracle happens and we get into the ALDS. Well, they're not getting much further than that, so... It could happen. Yeah, there's also a chance that the Jets might win a game, but I'm not counting on that. <laughs> now watch, they're going to win this Sunday. And it's going to ruin the joke. Oh, boy. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen. Well, but what if, if it, it does? does? But if it does, we'll make a joke about it at Greg's expense on the next episode of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Wow! Editor's note. This happened hours before the release of this episode. The New York Jets have won their first game of the season.